I want to take as my text this morning that reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians. We were in Colossians last week, and Colossians again in a different place. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 14. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1169. Page 1169, Colossians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 6, which I'd like us to read again just so it's fresh in our mind. Colossians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 6. He says to these believers who actually he had never met, but he had heard about, and his uh, co-laborer, Epaphras, who lived in Colossae, was the one who shared the gospel and started this church, but Paul's in, in prison and he writes to them, beginning at verse 6. He says, therefore, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, you've accepted him, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the word, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deed, he dwells bodily, and you have been filled or made complete in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without human hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the, power of, of the, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling or destroying the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This morning I want to talk about believers living for Christ with confidence. Believers living for Christ with confidence. Indeed, if you would describe yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ, how would you describe your life with Him? Would you describe it as joyful? Would you describe it as faithful? Would you describe it as an experience of confidence? One thing for sure must be said about the Apostle Paul, even if we say nothing else about him, and that is that he was confident in his walk with Christ. You see that in Colossians, and then I thought of that famous description that he gives of the nature of his walk in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where he says this to the Galatian believers. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. <laughs> It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And in our text this morning, Paul gives us, if you will, four reasons as believers for living for Christ with confidence. 
And the first is this. As believers, we live for Christ with confidence because God is already actively at work in our lives. We live for Christ with confidence because God is actively at work in our lives. Indeed, notice again verses 6 and 7. And therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, it's been presented to you, and you've received it, when you read in other places in the Scripture, for instance, Jesus saying, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. If you have come to Christ, it's because the Father did something first. He drew you to him. Or in Acts, when you read of the story of Lydia, and she was down by the river there in Philippi, or just outside the city of Philippi, and Paul was there together with Silas and Timothy and they presented the gospel and we read in Acts 16 and God opened her heart so she could believe the message of Paul. And so as you have received Christ because of the grace at work in your life, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, in Christ, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. And so Paul says that if we've received Christ, and many would say that, of course, yes, I, that's why I'm here, Scott. I have received him, I believe. And so Paul says if we've received him, he says our calling is also to walk in him. That is to walk in his ways. <laughs> to live as he lived. To allow Christ to have full reign as Lord in your life. To, as Paul put it in Galatians 2, to allow Christ to live in you. To live in me. And do what he wants to do in the world through me and through us. And this, Paul says, is uh, what b uh, believers to do because this is what we're taught to do. I I'm, I'm guessing that what I'm saying here isn't probably anything new that you haven't heard before, but isn't it interesting how often we need to hear it because apparently one time doesn't work. <laughs> in fact, it's interesting, Peter writing at the very end of his life, in fact, he was facing death and he wrote and he says, it, it doesn't bother me to repeat these things to you. I've been repeating them for decades and I need to hear it and you need to hear it because most of the time we spend our lives not in here going over these things, but out in the world where there's a very different message that you hear over and over and over and over again. And so we do it because that's what we've been taught to do. And then Paul says, and we do it abounding in thankfulness. <laughs> that is, by the way, that is the response of the person who really understands what God has done and what God is doing. Indeed, this thankfulness is for all that God has done for us in Christ. Indeed, if we have received Christ and we're walking with Him, Paul says, we do so with confidence because of all that God has done and all that God is doing. Indeed, Paul describes some of that. He says, for instance, that God has rooted you in Christ. 
That is, uh, he has, he, the, the metaphor is like a tree. He has planted you like a tree. It makes one think of Psalm 1. By a, by a quiet river, in fertile soil, rich and, and filled with nutrients to, to grow the most pleasant and delicious fruit. Spiritual fruit. And Paul says, and God is, in the present tense, building you up in Christ. A reference to an ongoing process of continuous growth and change for the better. And God is the one who's doing it. All of these verbals or these participles are all in the past tense. It's all things that, are, that God is doing in you. And you are passively the recipient of these great things. He says, that thirdly, that God, in the present tense again, is establishing us in our faith. That is to say that God is working in us to, to make us more and more sure of these things. In fact, the closer you walk with Him, and, the, and the, over time you just become convinced deep down that of course this is true. We were talking about this in the men's on, on, on Saturday. You do, the, much of it you have to take by faith, and it's based on trust. It's, it's, it's well, Jesus said it. In fact, that's the, that the heart of discipleship. Why do many of the things that I believe, I believe just because Jesus said so. And this is the one who said, uh, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer there, they're going to take my life, but I'm going to take it up again. Now, if he didn't take it up again, we wouldn't even be here. But he did take it up again, much to the surprise of his own disciples. But they experienced him alive. No one witnessed the resurrection, by the way. They only ever witnessed the resurrected Christ, whether you're talking about Mary Magdalene or any of the disciples. But when they saw him, and he was with them for a period of 40 days after his resurrection, before he was ascended, and Luke says, and he ate with them and told them the various different things that he hadn't said before about the nature of the coming kingdom of God, and then he was taken up. And of course, Peter, James, and John, and all the rest, they did ministry, and then Peter and John on one occasion was arrested, and they were told to stop preaching and teaching in Jerusalem in the name of Christ, and they said, you can do with us whatever you want. And this was the same Sanhedrin or the council in Jerusalem that organized the, the crucifixion of Jesus. But they weren't afraid of death any longer because they knew that they would rise again. <laughs> it's kind of like those candles, you know, at the birthday party where you blow them out and they keep on lighting again. <laughs> he said, you can do whatever you want with us, but we can't keep silent about the things we've seen and heard. And so our faith, God, brings that home to us. They saw. And you're believing their witness. You're believing the witness of eyewitnesses who went to their deaths and never changed their story because they knew it wasn't a lie. And so God is at work within us, making us Sure, establishing us in our faith, making us sure of what we believe, and then more and more making us faithful and doing what we believe. And so if we have received Christ and we are 
walking in Him, God is at work within us. This reminded me of a couple of passages of, that Paul wrote to the believers at Philippi. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he wrote to them and he said, I'm sure of this. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> That's confidence. I am confident of this very thing, you might put it, that God who began a good work in you, believers at Philippi, will bring it to completion. And if you've received and you're walking with him, that's what God is doing. He's, he's bringing it all to a perfect end. Our Philippians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 12, he says, And therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but also more in my absence, because again, he's writing to the Philippians from jail. <laughs> he says, work out your own salvation. Work it out. <laughs> with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will or to desire, and to do His good pleasure. He was telling the Philippians to do what he knew God was doing in them. In fact, that's a sign. When you want to live for God, and you want to obey, even that desire is a gift from God even though it's absolutely yours. And that's part of the mystery. And so that's the first thing. As believers, we live for Christ with confidence because God is actively at work in our lives. Secondly, Paul says that as believers, we live for Christ with confidence because in Christ, God has made us complete, complete in His sight. Notice again verses 8 through 10. And see to it that no one takes you captive or takes you hostage by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him or made complete in Him, to which nothing can be added. In Him you are made full, complete, who is the head and rule of all authority. And so as believers, we live for Christ with confidence because in Christ, God has made us complete in His sight. This is so comforting. Part of this, the meaning here is that living for, you don't live for God so that you earn His love. You, you're living for God because you know He loves you. You're not living for God to try to, to become perfect on your own. You're living for God because He's made you perfect in Christ. You remember that at the baptism, the heavens opened and the dove descended, the Spirit descended like a dove and the voice from heaven came and said to Jesus, You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And to be spiritually united to Him, to be spiritually united to the, to the Son with whom the Father is well pleased, is to be well pleasing in the sight of the Father. Because when He sees you, He sees Him. And Paul says, don't let anyone take you captive and make you a spiritual slave by convincing you that this isn't enough. That you have to add something to it. Because what God gives to you isn't complete. 
Indeed, Paul says any suggestion that being in Christ isn't enough, as Paul describes it, he, he describes it as empty deception. An empty deception that finds its origin not in divine revelation, but in human tradition. And the fact that it's empty, as he describes it, means it's absolutely worthless. It's like a tire without air, like a bucket with no water. Worthless. Or if such a suggestion is from a, from a spiritual origin, Paul says that it's, it's, it's according to the spiritual elements of the world. Indeed, there are spirits in the world that are not of God. And he says if it doesn't come from Christ and it doesn't come from human tradition, then maybe it comes from this. But it's not according to Christ. And Paul says that indeed in Christ dwells all the fullness of God. Again, here we are with this fullness, this completeness. Complete meaning that it's, there's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing, and as it relates to Christ, he says, as God in his divine nature, as the Father is, as the Holy Spirit is, this is why I suppose the Father is so pleased. It's like, I'm pleased with everything you want and everything you do and everything that you are and everything that you love because everything that you love and everything that you do and everything that you are is what I am and what I love and what I want to do. And if we have received Christ, Paul says, and we're walking in Him, we have been made complete in Christ. Indeed, notice that again, verses 9 and 10. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been made complete in Him. And so that's the second thing. As believers, we live for Christ with confidence because in Christ, God has made us complete in His sight. The Father is pleased with you if you are in the Son. Thirdly, Paul says, as believers, we live for Christ with confidence because in Christ God has delivered us from the power of sin. Notice verses 11 and 12. And in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's another way of saying spiritual circumcision. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, as he calls it, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so Paul says something kind of strange. That men's, one of the men was talking about the circumcision of a grandbaby. We knew what he meant. We all know what this is. We know what it means. Of course, to the Jews, it had a great deal of spiritual meaning. It was the mark and sign of the Old Covenant, and it was filled with spiritual import. In fact, the prophets, including Moses himself, told the people, it's not enough for you to be circumcised in your flesh. You must be circumcised in your heart. It's not just a physical thing, but a spiritual thing. This, this casting away of sin and being set apart uh, in faithfulness to God, which is what all of this signifies. 
Indeed, Paul says in Christ we have experienced a spiritual circumcision, which he says signifies our deliverance from the power of sin. Indeed, that's what Paul means when he describes this spiritual circumcision as the putting off of the body of the flesh. And he associates it with baptism. In fact, there seems to be this sort of passing on. In the, under the Old Testament, the, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. As we come into the new covenant, there's a new sign, namely baptism. And both of them accomplish this being delivered from the power of sin that lives within us. In fact, Paul talks about it in various different places, including here, which is somewhat summarized. But in Romans, he goes into great detail about it. In fact, I want to read just a couple of verses. Romans chapter 6, and beginning at verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ, and by the way, just remembering this, that baptism as we think of it, when I say the word baptism, you think, we, well, we had a baptism last week, didn't we? And that's what you think of when you, when you hear the word baptism. But that is a sacrament, as we call it, in the church. And Augustine defined a sacrament as an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. An outward and visible thing that you can see that signifies or points to like a sign to something that you can't see. And so Paul says, and do you not know that all of you who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And you were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Down into the water you go. Signifying a spiritual reality that you cannot see. Namely, union with Christ in his death, in his burial, his resurrection. And so whatever happens to him happens to you. If he dies for the sins of the world, you're dying for sin. Although he does it in your place. And you're buried with him. And if he rises from the dead, you rise with him from the dead as well. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6, for we know that our old self, <laughs> our old self, what Paul calls the body of the flesh in Colossians, in our text, for we know that the old self, that is who we were before we were spiritually united to Christ, the, our old self was crucified, crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin, our what Paul calls the body of the flesh, might be brought to nothing, completely disarmed, all of its power taken away, unless you give it power, that the body of sin might come to nothing and that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And so that's the third thing. As believers, we live for Christ with confidence because in Christ, God has delivered us from the power of sin. 
When you're a converted person, you have a power that you didn't have before you were converted. Before my conversion, I not only sinned, I loved it. And if there weren't laws that would bring punishment for the things I would like to do, uh, I would have done them. I'm, that's just my personal testimony. Thank God for laws. They, they do work, by the way. Uh, soften them and criminals will do more. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know what, that's, what that feels like, and I know that mentality. But after conversion takes place, all of a sudden you have this desire to do good and the power to do it and the power to say no to sin. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Finally, Paul says, as believers, we live for Christ with confidence because in Christ, God has delivered us from the penalty of sin. He has delivered us from the power of sin, and he has delivered us from the penalty of sin. Notice verses 13 and 14. And you were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, which he means in the spiritual way, God made alive, made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. For he set, it, set that aside and nailed it to the cross. And so left to ourselves, we are dead to God in our trespasses. Paul says that in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, spiritually dead. And your life is characterized by sinfulness. That is, um, as he talks here, he uses the word trespasses. Uh, that is a living in, in disobedience to God. In fact, you know what the word, you've seen a sign that says uh, no trespassing, right? It means to do what? It means to go beyond the boundaries. And so to be dead to God in our trespasses means living our lives regularly beyond the boundaries of God's will for us. But Paul says that God in his grace made us alive with Christ when he raised him from the dead and he forgave us all our trespasses. He forgave us all our boundary breaking. He forgave us all our insolence and our disobedience. Indeed, Paul put it this way, that God canceled the record of debt that stood as a witness against us. All of these things that I'm doing, or all of these things that you're doing, is just as if, as if God needed a, a document. And Paul is talking here what was common in Roman times, and that was a document of debt. In fact, you signed it, and you said, yes, I'm indebted for that. And so we, we become indebted to God. God says, uh, don't, like you might become debted to the city of Sugarland if you break the speed laws, or whatever it may be. You become indebted. And there's a document that says so. And Paul says that God canceled that record of debt that had all of your trespasses and your sins on it, all the ones that you remember and all the ones you don't. And Paul said that God canceled it. 
paid in full. In fact, he sets it aside because now it's no longer issue. And then he describes it as being nailed to the cross because that's where Christ paid that debt for you and for me. And notice, it's not just some of the debt. It's all of it. And that we might be delivered from the penalty of that debt, the penalty of our sins. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, Paul talks about that in a very succinct way. He said, for our sakes, God made him, that is Christ, to be sin. Who knew no sin? (laughs) Christ didn't know any sin. He says in John chapter 8, I do always those things that please the Father. Always. (laughs) I'm always the delight to the Father. In fact, when Jesus, uh, on the night that he was betrayed and was in the garden and before Judas came with the contingent of soldiers and, and so on, you remember that he, 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 he prayed that the cup might pass, and he was in great distress. The distress wasn't so much that he was concerned about the physical pain. This is what he was concerned about, which he had no way of anticipating what it might possibly be like. And that is for him who knows no sin to become everybody's sin. And for the Father with whom he had never had any broken fellowship, for the Father to turn away and let him bear it. For our sake, for your sake, for my sake, God made him, Christ, to be sin, to be our sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, for by grace, unmerited favor, grace is a gift, you don't earn it, it's just given. For by grace you have been saved or delivered from all that we're talking about here. And it comes through faith. And this, the faith is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, which oftentimes is left off. For we are His workmanship. We are God's new creation. (laughs) Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. He removes the problem and recreates us. And he he recreates us for these good works that he has prepared that we should walk in them. He doesn't ask us to walk in them so that we earn a standing with him. He gives us a standing with him and then he calls us to do these good things that he has prepared for us to walk in. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be what He's created us to be. He wants us to do what He's prepared for us to do. He wants us to live for Christ with confidence, knowing that He has provided everything that each one of us needs. 
to do just that. Believers living for Christ with confidence. Amen? Amen? Amen. Lord, when we think that there's so many people who believe that they can't come to God because their life isn't right or or that they're trying and they're trying to earn your acceptance when the truth is just the exact opposite of that. We come to you to give us what we can't earn for ourselves. If we're to be saved, it'll be by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's a gift from you, not of works, lest any of us should boast. And there, there's no boasting. <laughs> We do the sinning, you do the saving. You're the one who changes our lives and makes us a new creation. All of that is of you and we get the benefit of it. You, you work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. All of it is your sovereign grace in our lives. And this message and this truth from the apostle is a message of truth to those who have been so changed and transformed. And so if we have, Lord, I pray that you would do your perfect work in us. And if some are here, Lord, who have not been so converted and so changed, that you in your mercy would change them today. Change them today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.